Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent, to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When, he, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country in another way. Lord Jesus, we hear the story. We read the words. We think about that first Christmas. And and we stand in awe as well that the Savior, King of the universe, would come. And we present our hearts, even right now, like these wise men, to worship you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You heard the story about the wise men before, right? Now, sometimes we hear the story and we think, oh, it's just part of, you know, like the Christmas story just makes for a good, you know, narrative and there's not really any significance. Like why, sometimes we got to back up and say, why did wise men show up to worship Jesus as a baby at this time? Why did that happen? What what was going on here? I mean, you already have uh, God doing all kinds of amazing things and And if you think about it, it starts off with him announcing to what would be Mary's cousin, Elizabeth and and Zacharias, that they're going to have a baby known as John the Baptist. And that's what we would call him. God didn't say, hey, John the Baptist, but but, uh, he's going to name him John. And and that was a miracle in and of itself because the Bible says they were way past like childbearing age and, and she hadn't been able to have a child. And so there is already something miraculous and somewhat out of the ordinary happening. I, don't, I, I know that, you know, baby, you know, having age is typically considered in your, you know, younger years. But, but imagine this. The Bible said that Elizabeth, she was past childbearing age there. So it's not so often we see an elderly woman pregnant. And that's what was happening with Elizabeth. And everybody knew that's different. And Mary knew that as well. Something right here, uh, that, that is, that's unique. 
But if God is doing that over here, there, then maybe the message that he brought to me is not so far-fetched that I too would have a miraculous birth, though far more miraculous than just having a child at an older age. But this one here was going to be the child of God. That makes for a powerful story in and of itself. Then we see God doing all kinds of things to orchestrate the movements of people to get them where they need to be. Mary and Joseph, who would have been in Nazareth, but needed to have that child in Bethlehem because as we just read, the prophet said that that child, the king, is going to come from Bethlehem. So he puts it on Caesar Augustus's mind to do a census so that he could ultimately tax people is what Caesar's thinking. But God has something bigger uh, in mind to get Mary and Joseph to the place there in Bethlehem to prove that he was of the line of David. And it just happened to be at the time when Mary would be giving birth. All of this to confirm God's word and so that God can perfectly keep his promises. In and of itself, that's pretty amazing. And so you see God showing up to old. You see God showing up to the young. You see God showing up to the shepherds, those who would be your Uh, the shepherds who would raise the sheep for the sacrifice, the Passover lambs there outside of Bethlehem. And he shows up to these guys, the angels of the Lord, to announce the coming of the king. And they show up and, and they're in awe of what they've seen. And they go tell everybody what they've heard. But then the story continues. And some days after that, though your manger scene at home shows the shepherds and the magi, all together, right? And I know some of you guys are like, no, we put the, sh- the Magi on the shelf over here until a couple days after. That's when they actually got there. And then we moved the shepherds out of the way. Anybody like that in this house? I know uh, one family who's definitely like that. Ours are stuck to the thing, so I can't move them. But nevertheless, the Magi and shepherds, they didn't like show up probably the same day. But it, it, was, it was sometime after, sometime after. Uh, not years, but sometime after when they're still in Bethlehem before they fled to Egypt there. And so these magi though, what's the big deal about the magi? This is something that some of you may be familiar with, but I I think that many people haven't really understood the significance of these magi and who they were and, 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 and why they came. These magi that, that, uh, that came, the Bible says, they came from the east, or that literally means from the rising of the sun. So somewhere over, where, where's north right here? That's north. So they came from that way. They came from that way, and they came this way. And they likely came a long distance. We don't know exactly who these guys were, or where they came from. In the Bible, there's mention of wise men at other times. Wise guys, magi and wise men, or wizards, and the old King James would even say that, not wizards like Gandalf the Gray Wizard, but these wise people that were actually likely um, spiritualists or enchanters, or they, they would have been involved in whatever localized religion. They would have been religious leaders or priests, where they were, the Magi. This, um, that word was transliterated from, from the Persian, and, and it was a select sect of priests. Now, we see pictures of the Magi, and typically there's three of them. And that's how the Western church typically recognizes the Magi as three, because of the three gifts. And the Eastern church, the Eastern Orthodox and so forth, would uh, very commonly identify it as being 12 
magi who came. The Bible doesn't give the specific number. Did you know that? It just says that magi came. I don't think it was just three. I think it was probably more than that, but I don't, I don't have any reason to b- believe that it would be 12 either. But I think it was enough people showing up in town so that Herod, the king of the Jews, was scared. And I don't know if three guys that just came from over there would trouble him so much. In the third century, as tradition continued to go on, these guys became known as or regarded as kings. Uh, We don't know that or or have any real good reason to believe they were kings other than tradition. They even started to get names, and and the traditional churches started to name them. One was Belshazzar, and he was from Arabia. Another was Malchor, he was from Persia. And then another was Gaspar, he was from India. And so all of this was east. That's just kind of how they started to, to put a name and, and maybe the, the, the face or an image to who these guys were. We don't know that much. What we do know is if you read back into the book of Daniel, we see this about the, the Darius, the ruler of Persia. He appointed magi over the state religion there in Persia. And in fact, history outside of the Bible would, would uh, say that as well. But he had wise men who would oversee the religious um, traditions and performances duties throughout his, throughout his kingdom. And so when Daniel and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Meshach, Yoshak, and a bungalow, however you want to say it, Daniel, the lions, and those guys in the fiery furnace, when they were carried away, they were carried away off to Persia there, and Daniel was made known, he was given the assignment in chapter 4, verse 9, he was called the chief of the, the, not musicians, magicians, the chief of the magi, or the wise men. So Daniel, who had the spirit of God on the inside of him, uh, and it was evident that he walked in the, in the wisdom of the Lord, he was given leadership and responsibility overseeing all these wise men. So he was the chief of them. And so here you have a man of God who's in a very pagan, ungodly environment, and he's in a leadership position. He's also receiving prophetic words from the Lord. And uh, these magi, under his leadership, would have studied his prophecy concerning the coming king known as the Ancient of Days, as it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 22. They would have sat under his teaching. They would have listened to his words. They would have heard him talk about the, 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 the creator of, of all the universe and how the nations would rise up and they would fall and eventually there would be one king to rule them all. Not like in Lord of the Rings, one ring to rule them all, but one king to rule all nations. And they took interest in that when they hear this, and they would read that, and they would search, and they would wait. They were known as king makers, magi were. So this will give you a little bit of a better understanding of why Herod might be concerned. In Jesus' time, uh, by the time that Jesus came in, in, in um, the turn of the millennium, the turn of time <laughs> as we know it, uh, they had the dual priestly and government office, and they had the absolute choice and election of the king of, in, the, in the realm. And so within, under the rule, these guys had the ability to appoint kings and rulers and so forth, and it was their responsibility. The, they were known as king makers. And so this is why Herod is so afraid. 
because it's not that it's just three wise guys who show up dressed kind of different and they have some gifts with them, but they show up and he knows. It's sort of like when you're at school. Some of you guys wouldn't know this. Those of you who grew up like I did, you would know this. When you're in school and someone from the office shows up and you know when they say, can I talk to Danny Davenport? You know, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. They represent something to you, not just who they are, but they have a certain authority. And these guys showed up into town and they're kingmakers. And suddenly this king who had been appointed by uh, Caesar Augustus, Herod, Herod had been appointed as king of the Jews, though he was not Jewish. He sees these guys show up and he starts to fear. He starts to get really nervous. Rome had recently, only recently, regained control of Jerusalem from the Parthians who had ruled Persia from where these guys would have been from, likely from the east there. And so he would have been concerned that maybe some of the people right here that he's ruling over were ready to rise up and to overthrow him again and drive him out because it wasn't the first time that Herod had to flee from Jerusalem. And so you can imagine these guys show up and, and they represent maybe even a portion of the population there that he's responsible for. And they show up and they're saying, we want to see the king and it's not you. Right? That right there would cause him to be troubled. The Parthian king who ruled Persia at this time was growing old. He was growing old and increasingly unpopular. And so it's possible that the Magi who were responsible for identifying, selecting, naming, appointing, anointing the king, knowing that, began to study the scripture, started to go back to the prophetic words that they have been looking at for centuries, reading the words of Daniel, reading about kings that rise up and kings that are taken down, and finally seeing that there is a king that comes from Jerusalem a king that comes from from Israel, a king that comes from the Jewish people that will rule over the whole earth, over the whole world. And so they're studying these things. And you can imagine that piques their interest. And for whatever reason, which we'll talk about in a moment, but they know now is the time. We've, We've appointed other kings locally, but now is the time to go to Jerusalem to find that king. And so they head off. And they go to Jerusalem. In fact, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, this is a prophetic word here uh, that, that Daniel gives. And he says, 70 weeks or 70 periods is another way that this would be translated, are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. What is that saying when you have the 77s? Now, again, we don't like to math on Sunday morning too much. (laughs) But uh, another way this is looked at is 70 periods or 77s. These are years, about 490 years-ish right there is what they're pointing to. And if you keep reading, it goes to... uh, this period, actually 69 weeks, 483 years from the announcement that a new temple will be built. 
Well, this, their temple had been destroyed, the uh, Jewish temple at this time. It had been destroyed. And so Daniel was studying. He got revelation from God, prophetic word from God, and he got a time period as to when the Messiah would come. He writes this down. These guys have been studying this for years. They didn't just happen to see a star and say, you know, let's follow that star. But they knew the very, the very time, the very year, the, the time that the Savior would be born, the time that the King would be born. This was all written in the Scripture. They didn't just happen to show up, but this had been prophesied nearly 500 years before. And so they know now is the time to see, to see the one who would finish transgression, make an end of sins, reconcile us from our iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness. They're looking for that kind of king. They're, they have their heart and eyes on that. And so they come in, and it, again, it's likely not with just a, a couple, you know, a couple guys on, on their, their, their camels, like three guys. By the way, uh, the, the, the wise men there, you know, you have that song, we three kings, da, 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 da. Well, in some traditions, some people don't really celebrate Santa Claus and all that within their tradition. They celebrate the three kings. And whereas some kids will leave cookies and milk out for Santa and maybe carrots for his reindeer, although I never did that. I was down with the cookies, but I don't care about the, the carrots. But um, other kids will leave underneath their bed water and grass for the camels that belong to the three kings who come bringing gifts. And so that's oftentimes in Latin America and so forth, that, that's more common to celebrate the three kings than Santa Claus himself. That's just a little side note for you there. Um, but nevertheless, these guys come in, and I really don't believe it was just a few of them. I really believe they, they arrived with a large caravan. If you think about this, they came in with great pomp and circumstance, and, and here they are. These guys are not, they're not just some like, like poor old wise, you know, wise men that, that are shunned by everyone. When they come in, they make things happen. And they come in, and they're bringing gifts. And they need people who can protect them on this long journey. And so they take this long journey to find the king, and they're bringing gifts for the king. So you can imagine they show up, and it's a convoy. And everybody through town, through Jerusalem, is seeing this happen. And they went straight to Herod, this non-Jewish guy, and asked for the one who was born king of the Jews. And this was specifically an insult to Herod because they knew he had, he had only been appointed king of the Jews, though he wasn't Jewish himself. And so they look at him and they're like, we want the king who was born king of the Jews. Not like you, Herod. You know, like, it's kind of like that. Eh, not you. <laughs> Herod was scared so bad by this, scared so bad that 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 he, he didn't, you know, he played his cards tight. He said, oh, well, go find him for me. And when you find him, tell me where he is, and I'm going to come worship him too. But that wasn't what he was thinking at all. If you continue reading the story, he actually sent out his men to, when he found out where they're from, to Bethlehem to kill all the male babies under two years old. He was so scared and so enraged by this insult and what was going to happen. He was going to lose power. And so he tries to wipe out this whole generation just to destroy the king. He didn't want to lose his grip he didn't, of power. He didn't want to lose his influence. He didn't want to lose his control. He wanted to wipe out Jesus before he even got started. 
You know, that's how the enemy always works. He's always trying to wipe out any image of God. He's always trying to wipe out any expression of who God is. He's trying to change definitions, change uh, what we read, what we see, change the image we see before us so, so that we would take our eyes completely off of God and that we would give our heart not to him, but not to God, but to, to the ultimately satanic rule. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. Well, these guys, they go outside, they see the star, and they're like, we don't need Herod's GPS, we got our own. And so they start following the star, and the star leads them right to the place where the baby was, with mama, with Joseph. They show up there, and the Bible says there that when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. They fell down and they worshiped him. I don't know that they would fall down and worship other kings. By the way, it was very common for kings to be considered gods at this time. It would be very common for them. So maybe they had done that in the past with others. I don't know if they did, but I know when they showed up and they saw Jesus as a baby, they fell down to their knees and probably prostrate their face all the way down. And to us, that's uncomfortable. When I was in Nigeria uh, earlier this year, when we were in Nigeria, it was very common for when a, a leader uh, of the church would come in and like a high office that people would, would bow down and some would even get down on their knees and even to their face, not as a sense of worship, but as a sense of honor and respect. That's, that's common in some cultures even today. These guys did this, but they didn't just simply kneel in respect, they worshiped. They surrendered their hearts to him. They surrendered their life to him. They, 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 they submitted themselves to him. That's what that kneeling and worship entails. And so they do that. They, they uh, knelt down, they, they bowed down, and they worshiped him. They fell, the Bible says, fell down and worshiped him. And then they opened up their treasures, and they presented gifts to him. Now, these gifts are nice. Now, I've heard that you know, kind of saying, you know, if it was three wise woman, women, they would have brought like, like diapers and blankets and, you know, some whatever. I don't know what else women would do because I'm not one. I'd be like, what do you do with that? Just change the baby. Whatever, babe, you help me out there with that. But these guys, they brought gifts that were specific to who he was. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold for kingship. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. They weren't coming to simply give him a token of their appreciation and maybe a little offering, but they were bringing probably a great amount of gold to, to give to the king, something that would be worthy of giving to the king, something that would honor him. Now, gold, I don't know where it is right now, $1,200, $1,300 an ounce. If you put that into pounds, that's a lot of money, you know, the, the equivalent of what it's worth today. And if you have a kilogram, if you're on the metric system, maybe it's about $40,000 worth of gold, you know, for every kilogram. I, I don't know exactly how much gold they gave him, but you could imagine here they are going to see the king and they don't know, is he in a palace? Is he in a stable? They don't know any of that. They just know he's the king. And so they bring gold as a gift to him and identifying him as the king. I also think that that's pretty, pretty significant because not soon after this, they would have to flee to Egypt to pr run for their lives. And Mary and Joseph 
I don't think had a whole lot of money before this. You know, they're, they're just getting started. <laughs> and I don't think they were poor by any means, but I, I think that they were rich all of a sudden. <laughs> and that you see God showing up here and providing for them for this journey. And it just symbolizes, we know you're the king. The second thing that they gave him was the frankincense. And the frankincense was a, a spice used in the priestly duties. And, and they identified Jesus not just as a king, but also a priest. You know, the Bible talks about the high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies in this, this temple and represent people to God and give sacrifices on their behalf. And, and he would use, they would use the incense as part of the ritual and so forth. And they're recognizing Jesus here, not just as king, but also the priest. And he was the high priest who wouldn't just offer the blood of lambs, but ultimately, he would give his own life as a sacrifice once and for all. And they were signifying this here by that gift of the frankincense. Now, thank God that Jesus did this once and for all, for all time, which led to the third gift, the myrrh. The myrrh was, was a, an ointment that would be used in the uh, treatment or the embalming of a, a body after death. That's not exactly something you give to a baby when you first meet like hey let's prepare for your death child don't do that no mom wants that like here's a casket don't do that but there's something significant about this here they show up and they have this gift and they know that that scripture said he's gonna wipe away the sins he's gonna make all things right and if you continue to read it indicates that He's going to give his life, not for himself, but for the world. They know this from the scripture in Daniel that they had been uh, reading and studying. And so they bring all of these gifts in preparation because they don't know exactly what they're going to find or what it's going to be like. But they're preparing for the king, for the priest, and for the one who would give his life. And all of these are symbolic of who Jesus was. Now, there's another scripture in Isaiah chapter 60 that talks about a time when people will come from all over the place. All the nations will come and they'll bring gifts to the king. In Isaiah 60, verse 5 and 6, it says, Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Notice they bring the gold, they bring the frankincense, but no myrrh. No myrrh. Why is that? Because the sacrifice at this time that it's pointing to has been made. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He was buried, dead, buried, resurrected. He paid for the sins of the people once and for all. There's no, uh, no more reason to mourn, no more reason to, to, uh, to, to sacrifice for sins because Jesus himself was the sacrifice. And then it's just a time to honor our king and our high priest. Jesus has died once for all. So here's the question. When you think about this here, you think, first of all, God chose these wise men, these guys who were, by the way, far off from the covenants with God, uh, far off from worshiping God in, in the ways that were prescribed from the Bible, probably very paganistic, very much worshiping other gods. 
probably people who didn't look anything like a true worshiper of God, those who had no reason to be here bowing down before Jesus, no other reason except for the fact that God wants all nations saved and that God reaches out to people who are so far off, so far off from him, who have no reason to come near God except for the fact that God loves them. That's what you see with the Magi. That's another reason the Magi, the story of the Magi is such a big deal. It's because it just shows the heart of God is, I just don't, I don't want a few. I want them all. I want them all. I want everybody. So as we take time to wrap up here, think about this, those gifts that were given to Jesus. And we can think about what we would give to him. But think about what it means to you. Have you received forgiveness through the death of Jesus? That's what that gift is preparing him for. And so for us, are we going to receive who Jesus is and what he's done? Are you allowing Jesus, have you received him to be your high priest, the one who represents you to God? This is important. Though we don't have time to talk about the depth of it right now. But you know, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. You're not representing yourself. He looks at Jesus. The Bible says that as when you're born again, when you place your faith and trust in him, that, that you are in Christ. And so he doesn't, God doesn't look at you for all your failures and weaknesses and, and, and past or anything like that. He doesn't look at that. He looks at who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as a high priest, he's our representative. And it doesn't mean that, oh, we talk to Jesus and Jesus talks to Father God. No, we're in Christ. We have full communion with God, full access. But understand this, oh, I'm not going in on my own good deeds or my own righteousness. I'm not going in because I had a good day or I did the right things and said the right words. I'm going in because of who you are, Jesus. I'm going into the presence of God because of that. And finally, have you received Jesus as your king, surrendering your entire life to him? That's what, that's what you do with a king. You submit yourself. You bow down. You say, you're in charge. I'm not in charge. And this little heart of mine that has a throne, I'm not going to be on it. Jesus, I'm inviting you to be on that. If so, if you've received all Jesus is, all he's done, allowing him to be king, be like the wise men. When you encounter him, you know, they worshiped him, they bowed down. But then the Bible says they were warned in a dream, don't go see Herod. So they went back another way. Anytime you come into the presence of Jesus, you shouldn't go back the old way or to the old ways. You shouldn't return the way you came, in other words. You should encounter Jesus. You want to encounter Jesus and be transformed by that encounter. Be changed by that. So the question is even this morning, how have I been changed by my encounter with the Lord? How have I been changed? Let's pray about that and then we'll sing this song. Father God, thank you again for your word speaking to us, showing us that you want everybody, including us, to be part of your family, to be worshipers, to belong to you, to know you, God. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who is our king. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords, and we surrender our lives to you. You're our high priest, making a sacrifice once for all of your own life, God. 
laying down your life only to be raised from the dead to give us new life. We receive that this morning, God. Lord, I pray for a great joy to fill us, God. Great joy, the joy of knowing you and that that would transform us in Jesus' mighty name. And I pray every single person here, God, would leave difference, God, not because of church or the music or the snacks, but because of Jesus, that we would know you, God, and be transformed in Jesus' mighty name. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship.